Welcome to the First Church Orlando podcast. Here you will find recordings of weekly sermons, devotions, interviews, and seminar recordings from the First United Methodist Church of Orlando. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the podcast. Our scripture this morning comes from Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 15. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire is for Israel's salvation. That's my prayer to God for them. I can vouch for them. They are enthusiastic about God. However, it isn't informed by knowledge. They don't submit to God's righteousness because they don't understand his righteousness, and they try to establish their own righteousness. Christ is the goal of the law which leads to the righteousness for all who have faith in God. Moses writes about the righteousness that comes from the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that comes from faith talks like this. Don't say in your heart who will go up into heaven. That is to bring Christ down. Or who will go down into the region below. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the message of faith that we preach. Because if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and in your heart you have faith that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Trusting with the heart leads to righteousness, and confessing with the mouth leads to salvation. The scripture says all who have faith in him won't be put to shame. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek because the same Lord is Lord of all who gives richly to all who call on him. All who call on the Lord's name will be saved. So how can they call on someone they don't have faith in? And how can they be, have faith in someone they haven't heard of? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who announce the good news. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Isn't it good to have John with us today? Yeah, thank you for being here. So as was mentioned earlier, our theme for these three weeks is hospitality. Hospitality. I'd like for you to think for a minute about when you have experienced great hospitality. When have you experienced great hospitality? Maybe it was somebody's house. They invited you over for dinner. Maybe it was grandma's house. My grandmother always made fresh homemade chocolate chip cookies for me anytime I came over. That to me is great hospitality. Maybe it was at a restaurant or hotel. Maybe it was on a cruise or at a resort. Maybe it was at a church. Where and when have you experienced great hospitality? And what For you, here's the question, what makes you feel welcome and wanted and safe? I was born and raised in Orlando, and I think I learned two brands of hospitality in utero from birth. I'm a Southerner, and so I've known about Southern hospitality before I ever knew there was such a thing as Southern hospitality. 
from birth learned to say please and thank you. Yes, sir. And yes, ma'am. No, sir. No, ma'am. I learned from an early age how to, how to treat women respectfully, how to respect my elders. I developed a, an appreciation early on for deep fried food and banana pudding and white gravy, right? Anybody, anybody remember the old TV show, Beverly Hillbillies? This is a definitely a generational thing, right? Do you remember how every show ended? There was a little jingle. It went like this. You're all invited back next week to this locality to have a heap and helping of their what? Hospitality. Hillbilly, that is. Set a spell. Take your shoes off. And then Ellie Mae every week would say at the very end, say it. Y'all come back now, you hear? You may not know that Uncle Jed was played by Buddy Epson, who grew up here in Orlando. There used to be Epson Dance Studios here in Orlando. In fact, I grew up on the same street as uh, Buddy Epson here in Orlando. So that's one brand of, 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 of hospitality, Southern hospitality. The other, I would say, is I learned from tourism. I was four years old when Walt Disney World opened, so I can barely remember in Orlando without Walt Disney World. Or for that matter, without SeaWorld. Or for that matter, without Universal. Or for that matter, without International Drive. They've just been part of the Central Florida Orlando experience throughout my lifetime. And I think that type of hospitality has permeated everything in Central Florida. Part of the ethos, the DNA of Disney is they want everybody to have a magical experience, right? They want every person who walks through their doors to experience sort of a a wow, you know, exceed expectations. And in fact, every cast member, that's what they call their employees, every cast member is empowered to leave their responsibility, their duty, and do whatever it takes to help someone have a magical experience. I feel like that has kind of become part of the ethos of Central Florida. Now, I would also add to those two things. Being a Methodist pastor, I think, has taught me a lot about hospitality. We just tend to be good at it as Methodists. Uh, I once heard you can tell a Roman Catholic because they always have a rosary in their hand. They're praying the rosary. And you can always tell a Southern Baptist because they have a well-used, leather-bound Bible with their name in gold on it, right? And they've obviously well-read. And you can always tell a Methodist because they're carrying a casserole dish. (laughs) That's not far from the truth. I think I probably learned most about uh, hospitality was as a campus minister at FSU. I quickly realized my first year that we kind of have one shot every year to reach and welcome uh, freshmen. And that was always, of course, August, September as they arrived. Because quickly you get caught up in college and all the other activities and things that are going on in campus. So we had this kind of narrow window. We better welcome them well right away. The problem I realized right away was that upperclassmen weren't particularly interested in freshmen. They'd been away from their friends all summer. So that's who they wanted to talk to in the first week or two of school. So I developed a pattern that every year I preach the first sermon of the year on hospitality. A reminder, we, we are here to receive and welcome new students, right? We don't have that same kind of ebb and flow here, but that's kind of the purpose of this hospitality series is as a reminder that we always should be ready to welcome and receive new friends into our church family. Well, preparing for that sermon every year, I I quickly discovered that hospitality isn't just something we do as Southerners. It's not something we just do because of tourism, but it's deeply rooted in the Bible. In fact, it's one of the major themes of Scripture. 
Um, so I just want to quickly just kind of run down sort of four premises, four, sort of four scenarios, four belief systems that appear in Scripture that are why we need to pay attention to hospitality in the church. The first one is this. In ancient times, biblical times, hotels and restaurants didn't exist, right? Jesus was born in a, in a barn because there was no room in the, the inn. That's actually not true. The Bible doesn't say that. It just says there was no room. There were no inns. <laughs> the reason there was no room in the inn is the inn didn't exist. In those days, people showed hospitality to strangers. If you were a traveler, either you pitched your tent along the side of the road or someone welcomed you into their encampment. And they would offer you food and they would offer you drink and they would offer you protection. I'll say more about that in just a moment. Now, why would somebody show hospitality to strangers? It was really rooted in two things. Back then, people got a little isolated. You would live with your herd, you know, off somewhere and, and so when somebody was coming down the road, this is an opportunity to fear, hear what's happening up there, right? The last city they passed through, what's happening on the other side of the border, you know? It's a way to kind of be informed about the world, but also sort of related to the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. If I show this person hospitality, the next time I travel, maybe someone will show me hospitality, right? So in the ancient world, you... you treated people with hospitality. You welcomed them. Second, in the Old Testament, we hear the story of how the Israelites were welcomed into Egypt by Pharaoh as honored guests, but then a new Pharaoh came to power, and they were forced into slavery and abused and mistreated. And so on the way from Israel and the experience of abuse and slavery, as they were going to become a nation in the promised land, God gave a commandment. This is Leviticus 19, 33, 34. Do not take advantage of foreigners who live among you in your land. Treat them like native-born Israelites and love them as you love yourself. Remember that you were once foreigners living in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. In other words, we ain't going to treat people the way we got treated. We're going to do better. We're going to be a different kind of nation. So that's two, right? Old practices of travel. Then the story of, of Egypt and Israel and slavery and how we're going to treat foreigners. Third is more theological. By the time you get to the New Testament, one of the main theological themes is that because of sin, we have a distance from God. We've been alienated from God. We are strangers to God. But God, in an effort to close the gap, sent Jesus, who took on our flesh, lived our life, died our death, and rose from the dead. And in that action, God reconciled with us, that we have been welcomed now into God's presence. Colossians 1, 21, 22. Once you were alienated from God, and you were enemies with him in your minds, which is shown by all your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through death, to present you before God as a people who are holy, faultless, and without blame. So that's the third idea. We've been welcomed now into God's presence. So that's it's those three, right? Travelers have needs. Two, we have, we have a, a memory of when we've not received hospitality. Three, we have theological reason uh, for, for hospitality because this is how God treated us, so we're going to treat people this way. But there's one more. They believed, according to Hebrews, that there's always this possibility that you just might welcome an angel. Hebrews 13, 2. 
Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. That'd be kind of neat to have an angel knock on your door, wouldn't it? Or terrifying, I don't know. And we live in a different world, right? We live in a different time. Few of us take off on a, a trip and don't know where we're staying. We've usually made reservations. Few of us need to, to welcome tourists into our house and say, well, what's happening in New York City? Like, we just turn on CNN. We just turn on, look on our computer. We can find out the latest news, right? Very few of us don't start out with travel plans or assume that of others. And few of us expect, I assume, that the next person knocking on our door is an angel. Though that would be kind of neat. So what does hospitality look like in our modern context? What kind of hospitality ought we be offering today? The author Henry Nouwen writes this. In our world full of strangers, estranged from our own past culture and country, from their neighbors, friends, and family, from the deepest self and their God, we witness a painful search for a hospitable place where life can be lived without fear and where community can be found. It is obligatory for Christians to offer an open and hospitable space where strangers can cast off their strangeness and become our fellow human beings. Isn't that a great quote? I think the point he's trying to make is that we still, even in our modern world, we all sort of intuitively know we need a place where we're welcome. We need a place where we can be part. We need a place where we can be accepted. We need a place where we can be safe and can be loved, right? But the problem is not everybody knows that. If you were here last week or if you tuned in online, you heard Cameron offer a sermon in which he told us that there are fewer and fewer people in the world that see the church, view the church, know the church as a safe place, a welcoming place, a loving place, a hospitable place. In fact, he quoted statistics that the majority of people, millennial generation and younger, do not see the church that way. I'm just going to give you a couple. 91% of millennials think we're anti-LGBTQ. 87% of, of millennials think we're too judgmental. 85% think we're hypocritical. 78% think we're old-fashioned. 61% think we're just confusing. And there were more stats, right? And there's a growing majority in our country, especially in the younger generations, who have no experience of church at all. They have no knowledge of what church is even about. If you don't believe me sometime, come to a wedding or a funeral. And it becomes real obvious very quickly that most of the guests have not been to church much or at all. Maybe they've seen church on TV and movies, which rarely depicts us very positively. Maybe they've heard about certain brands of, of Christianity on the news. Maybe they've just known a Christian, observed their behavior. Maybe it's you. Maybe they went to a wedding or a funeral. I don't know. There's a British pastor named Martin Camro who wrote a book called Keeping Alive, the Rumor of God. And in it, he says, the Christian story which once guided lives is now little more than a folk memory. We've largely lost the shared experience of church. So, so what does it mean for us in this day and age, in this world, to offer hospitality to people who probably aren't even looking for it or aren't expecting it? 
A few years ago, the Methodist Church made a major multi-million dollar investment in an advertising campaign called Open Hearts, Open Minds, Open Doors. Anybody remember? There were ads, there were TV commercials. It was a major, major nationwide effort. It communicated that the Methodist Church, United Methodist Church is a place that's broadly accepting of all people, that you will be welcome. Any Methodist Church, the, the door is open and our minds and our hearts are open to you. Well, it's a beautiful sentiment. But the campaign flopped. There's a said a lot of good things. I mean, open minds are a good thing. Open doors are a good thing. Better to have open minds and hearts and doors than closed, open, closed doors, hearts and minds, right? That's good. But the problem with the campaign is it assumed that the world out there that doesn't go to church is ready and willing and eager to go to church. They're just waiting to hear a place that they will be welcome. And the truth is that most of the world has no idea what we do or why this time would have any value in their life at all or why church should be something that they would include versus exclude. There was an old Bedouin saying. Bedouins are people who live nomadically in the Middle East. There's an old Bedouin saying that goes something like, if I had known you were coming, I would have strewn rosebuds, rose petals, from the flap of my tent to your feet to show you the way. Isn't that a great expression? Think about that. If I'd known you were coming, I would have laid out a bed of rose petals all the way to your feet to help show you the way. That is the spirit of biblical hospitality. You've heard me talk before about time that I've worked in Guatemala. I've been going for years to the very same village, gotten to know the very same people. They've become family to me. But I've been going a number of times before anyone ever invited me to their house. And that was starting to bother me. Everybody would come to the church where we stay, but I kept thinking, I want to go, I want to, go to their house. I want, to see what, I want to see what it looks like. I want to see how they live, right? I want to see what that experience is. Well, one day I was at the church working. I think I was painting a wall or something. And my friend Angelica just walks up to me and says, you're coming to my house today. I'd never told anybody I wanted to go to a house. She said, you're coming to my house today. I said, okay, what time? She told me the time. I went. And I've been at her house and lots of other houses ever since. In fact, if you ever come with me to Guatemala, probably one of the very first things we do when we get to the village is we'll go to Angelica's house. That's one of the very first stops I make. Uh, and And she'll greet you warmly. You won't have to go many times where you get that privilege. But it began with an invitation. Did you catch that? I didn't feel, I didn't assume that I was welcome to just go up and walk into her courtyard. I waited for an invitation, which came. You're coming to my house today. You see, hospitality doesn't begin with an open door. Just opening our doors isn't enough. Hospitality begins with invitation. Hospitality begins with invitation. There's a biblical scholar named Christine Pohl who wrote a book on biblical hospitality. She says, by definition, hospitality involves some space into which people are welcomed. Hear this, a place where unless the invitation is given, the stranger would not feel free to enter. Unless the invitation is given, the stranger would not feel free to enter. One of, this, one of the, the misconceptions I think that many of us in the church have 
is that the world at large knows what we do, what we have to offer. And of course they know the doors of churches are open. Come on in. You know, it's just, it's just a matter of time before everybody knows they're welcome. And I don't think that's true. How would someone with no church background know they would be welcome here? Why would we assume that? How would somebody with no church background know that this is a place where it's okay to not necessarily believe everything at first, to wrestle with questions of spirituality and faith and life and even doubts and uncertainties? How would an LGBTQ person know they're welcome to come here when so many churches have told them they're not welcome? What if a woman has had an abortion in this post-Roe v. Wade world when churches, conservative churches, have largely been the most vocal in that movement? How would a person of color know they're welcome in this big white, I mean literally white church, right? How would they know that this is a church that all people are welcome? How would a person with doubts, uncertainties, faith struggles know that you can come here and grow in understanding? You don't have to come in and swallow the whole pill at once. Biblical hospitality must begin with an invitation. It must begin with an invitation. Just think about the story of Jesus. How did God communicate love? He sent Jesus. For God so loved the world, he sent his son. It began with going out, right? And telling people, God wants to be in relationship with you. So maybe another way to ask the question is, Do we have beautiful feet or don't we? Look at your feet for a minute. Keep your shoes on if you would. You know, maybe maybe we're just going to evaluate our our shoe styles, right? Whether they need a polish or something. Look at your feet. You have beautiful feet or don't you? Romans 10, 13 through 15. John read it just a moment ago. All who call on the Lord's name will be saved. That's the heart of God. All who call on the Lord's name will be saved. But then it asks some really important questions. How can they call on someone they don't have faith in? How can they have faith in someone they haven't heard of? How can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who announce the good news. So in essence, it's saying this metaphor, those who go, those who leave the open door, those who go out in the world and extend the invitation, those kind of people have beautiful feet. Now, I don't quite understand the metaphor. If I took off my shoes, you probably would not say that I have pretty feet. I think it's more a description of the going. The beauty is in the going and in the inviting and then in the welcoming, right? Do we have pretty feet or don't we? The question is, do we go out and invite? Do we let people know what we do here? How will people hear the message? How will people receive the invitation if nobody goes to invite them? How will we ever offer hospitality? No matter how big and open our doors are, if nobody ever crosses the threshold. And by the way, I don't just mean them coming to us across our threshold. I mean us going to them across our threshold and say, hey, come on back. Come on back with me. The point, friends, is we have good news to share. We have a beautiful invitation to offer, and there's a world that desperately needs to hear good news, doesn't it? How are we going to offer that hospitality without inviting them first? You remember the the parable of the sower that Jesus told? 
He says a, a, a farmer goes out to sow seed. Sowing is, just means broadcasting, the throwing seed. He says he's out there sowing his seed and some of it falls on hard ground and gets eaten by birds. And some of it falls among stones and can't grow roots. And some of it falls among the thorns and gets choked. But some of it falls on fertile soil and grows a great harvest. And he says the, the, the seed being sown is the word of God. Or we may just say the invitation, right? But a lot of it goes to waste. There are a lot of invitations that go to waste, that seemingly go to waste. There's a lot of invitations that don't get received. We can put an ad in the newspaper. Who's going to look, right? We can put ads on social media. Not everybody pays attention. We can send out mailers and do, I mean, we do all these things, right? And, and most of it goes in the mail, in the trash. That's, that's sowing seed. Because somebody, somebody might receive it as the invitation. And by the way, the same thing's going to happen to you, right? Don't think today you're going to call somebody, the first person say, hey, my preacher said, you know, invite them to church. And so I'm calling, would you like to come to church next week? And they say, no. Oh, that didn't work, right? You got to call somebody else. (laughs) Extend the invitation again. And by the way, let me just suggest that maybe if you're going to invite somebody to church, maybe that worship is the last thing to invite them to. This is intimidating, right? This this is something you have to learn how to do. So maybe the invitation is to a children or youth event. Or maybe the invitation is to a social event. Or maybe the invitation is come, hey, we're going to do this service thing at the Christian Service Center. We're going to feed the hungry. How about come and help with that, right? Maybe that's the better invitation. And then as they grow in relationships, they, you know, join other things. The question is, what if we all, what if all of us just got more of a habit of inviting just invite. Hey, I think you would enjoy it. Hey, I think you'd like what we're doing in youth. Hey, I think your family would fit in well at our church. Would you like to come? What if we got in the habit of inviting? Hospitality begins. It begins. It doesn't end, but it begins with the invitation. And the invitation begins with you and me. So I just want to end with this. Who have you invited lately? Or here's a better question. Who could you invite this week? This week, who could you invite? Let's pray. So Lord God, I pray that we would be a great, hospitable United Methodist Church. It's in our DNA, Lord. Help us to draw the very best we've learned living in the South and the very best we've learned from tourism, but more importantly, the very best we've learned from you by your own example in sending Jesus to invite us to know you. Send us, Lord. Give us beautiful feet. Lead us to the people that you know need community. They need love. They need truth. Help us to be an inviting church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and that you will listen again in the future. If you enjoyed today's message, we hope you'll subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and share it with others on social media. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If this podcast is a valuable resource to you, we invite you to give to this ministry by making a financial contribution at firstchurchorlando.org forward slash give. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. 
May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.